not being afraid to reach out, not being afraid to contact people, build those relationships, say hello, have a conversation. Even if it's not, it doesn't have to be a conversation to serve you, right? It can just be introductions, making a connection, building a relationship and, and learning from others and learning from their experiences. So in particular, if you're interested in breaking into customer success, if you're interested in advancing your career, um, again, find someone that's in a position uh, that you're in, either someone that already works in customer success or someone who has a role that, you know, that you would be interested in and, and reach out to them say, Hey, I would love to hear more about your experience. And if there's any you know, lessons learned that you would be willing to share with me, you know, maybe they'll take the call and at a minimum, maybe they can point you in the direction of some helpful resources or someone else that would be willing to, to spend the time. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of beyond the job title podcast. I'm your host, Cesar Romero. And remember, this is the podcast where we feature the relatable journeys of successful underrepresented professionals in tech with the goal of providing you with the inspiration, mentorship, resources, and strategies to advance your career. And my guest for today's episode is Evan Williams. Evan is an accomplished customer success leader and strategic advisor with experience in different realms like cybersecurity, professional services, and ad tech. And he is currently serving as a strategic advisor and fractional VP of customer success at Growth Molecules, where he helps companies scale through customer success programs. And in this episode, we're gonna dive deeper into his customer success journey, why he decided to build a career in customer success. If you are someone that is considering growing or entering into the customer success field, we're also going to talk about a few tips and strategies that you can implement. We also talk about the power of mentorship, how to find mentors, why it's important to always give back at every stage of your career, and so much more. And before we dive into the episode, please, I have two requests for you. One, make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And that is one of the best ways to support the podcast. And number two, I welcome any feedback, questions, comments. That's how we continue growing and improving this podcast. So you, if you have a question, if you have feedback, whether it's good or bad or any comment, please don't hesitate reaching out. My DMs are open. Thank you so much. And now here is my conversation with Evan Williams. What inspired you to, to pursue customer success as a career? And what's been the most rewarding aspect so far? Yeah. So what inspired me to, to take up a role in, in customer success? So I've known from a very long age, I've always been, or from a very young age, that I've always been very interested in technology. Even when I was very young, I remember my, my grandmother bought us her first computer when I was very young. And my parents were always telling me to uh, not spend so much time on it. Like, even when I was little, like, I always just was on there and I was curious and exploring and those types of things. So. Um, I've always, you know, felt, definitely felt an attachment to technology. And then when I worked, when I was in college, I found a job working in the, the help desk. So that was really my first experience working in a customer facing role. And we were responsible for helping students to set up their email addresses, or if they had issues with their computers, they would bring them in and, and we would work on them. And I really, I liked it a lot because it blended my love for technology with my, my love for being able to help people. And I have so many stories about funny things that would happen in the help desk. People, basically probably not funny to the, the people that it happened to, but people that would spill 
coffee on their laptops while they were in class and they would bring them in and we'd have to take them apart and dry it, dry them out. I actually remember one girl who had spilled a glass on, spilled a drink on her laptop while she was in class and it was actually wine. So she had spilled wine all over, over her laptop. So we're in there and we're like, I, I, like, I know exactly what you spilled on this. I can smell it. It was so much fun working in there and, and being able to really help everyone out because they would come in looking for our assistance and, and we'd be able to help them either uh, fix their computers and you know, they'd be freaking out. Many of these people were away from home for the first time and they're like, oh no, I've just broken this expensive piece of equipment. So being able to help them out was a lot of fun. And that was really the first uh, real exposure I had to working in a customer facing role. So then after that, I, I, after college, I, I graduated and I went to work up in San Francisco for a company called Blackboard. And most people, when they think of Blackboard, but most people are familiar with the company. It's a big multi-billion dollar ed tech company. It's been around for a very long time. But the division of the company that I worked for was the mobile division. So this was back when there was a very... The idea of having mobile applications was something very new. Right now, it's pretty like every everyone has a a mobile app, right? From the cafe that you know down the street from you to every every small company or startup, like everyone has has a mobile app. But this time, that wasn't necessarily the case. So this was really groundbreaking at the time, and we were making mobile applications for higher ed institutions. We worked with many uh, big universities and uh, a lot of the more forward thinking school, you know, high school districts. Um, but I really enjoyed my time there getting to work with all of these different institutions to help them make sure that their technical, their technology, their posture there was advancing and that they were on the cutting edge of technology when it came to the, the mobile front. And this is, I would say, this is really the first experience I had with a very rewarding customer relationship. There was a woman that I worked with at the University of Alabama who was, had been a great partner of ours. We'd worked together for a long time. And she had really bet and, and risked her job on the success of this rollout. And because we had a lot of success around the adoption and the rollout of the, the application, uh, it was really a career making move for her. So she was able to advance uh, in her role at the university and IT. So it was really exciting to be able to see how well this had not only been helpful for the, the students that were using it, but really for the, the university as partners and, and in this individual this woman that we really were able to make look good to her boss, right? So a lot of the times what we think about from a customer success perspective is asking our customers, what can I do to make you look good to your boss? So that was really where I started off in that customer facing role. And then over the years, I've had many different roles. But what I love about it, again, is I, I love technology. I love the way that it's able to help people, saves us time, makes, it, makes us more efficient. But it also get, I get to spend a lot of time working with people and that's what I find energizing. And what I really enjoy is getting to, to work with people. My, my wife always chastises me because you know, whenever we're on break, vacation or we go out to dinner, we go out to a bar, like I, I love meeting new people. I'm always like chatting, chatting people up. In fact, one of our, one of our best friends I made in a, an apartment that we used to live in when you know, we were in the elevator and I just randomly started talking to, to these people. And you know, it turns out now, 10 years later, they're some of our best friends. It's always energizing and always very rewarding with, to me to build uh, those personal relationships. I really enjoy that about working customer success. I love that. And I love that you had the opportunity early on to combine your love for tech and for people and you know, customer success. It's, it's, like the, it's like a great pair, right? Uh, um, I'm curious, uh, you said you, you love people. What about the relationship building process that you enjoy the most? And 
how do you approach it? Do you, what kind of questions would you ask if, if you're meeting someone for the first time or maybe even onboarding a, a new client for the first time? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really important when we think about customer success and, and relationship building and rapport building is uh, making sure that you're always conscious of you know, your EQ, you know, your emotional quotient, right? So making sure that you're able to, to read the room, you can read body language, you can understand people's emotions and, and motivators. And uh, it's super important, I think, to, to not only build the personal or excuse me, the professional, but also the personal relationship. So when you're joining on those calls, right, a, a little bit, not too much, but having a little bit of small talk, right, getting to know your customers on a personal level. And when I say that you have to have the EQ there, right, is because you do have some customers that are maybe not as interested in in the small talk, right? You need to know. And, and it, I've, I've been in several situations where it's, it's almost you know painful to listen to where the, the CSM isn't quite catching that, like this customer is not interested in, in having the small talk right now, right? They want to talk business. They, they have some objectives to accomplish. So you have to make sure that you're weighing those and that you're balancing the time that you're spending, right? Because ultimately your customer is giving you something that's very valuable, right? Their time. So you don't want to waste it. But if you do have customers that you can read and understand, read the room and understand that, hey, there, there's an opportunity for some relationship building here, asking them about themselves, right? Their interests, things that they like to do. And I find that really can open up the door to if, they're, if they want to share more you know, details about their personal life, their interests, the things they like to do on the weekends, their families, their friends, those types of things. So I had a, one leader that had once told me that you can tell that you've built a very strong relationship with a customer. If you're on a uh, texting basis, right? Like when you're at a point with a customer that you can text them or you're calling them on their cell phone, uh, you're on your way to really building a very successful uh, relationship together. Yeah, I definitely, I, I've been on that uh, experience where you can read, you know, some, some people don't want to do that initial talk of personal details, right? They just want to dive right into the business. And I think knowing how to read that, it's it, it takes practice, right? But eventually, right? It's all about the other person, right? And, and the customer. Yeah. And I think it's important too, that you have to understand that you have to build trust first. And I, I spoke to, I was speaking to a colleague about this the other day about how do you build trust, right? Whether it's with a customer or whether it's with your own colleagues. And I think one of the best ways to begin building trust is delivering on promises, right? So doing what you say that you're going to do is I think one of you know, the best ways that you can go about building trust, either both with your colleagues and with your customers. Before you are able to really build that deep personal relationship with your customer, you probably are going to have to build some trust with them, right? Like they're going to have to understand that you promised uh, certain business outcomes. You've promised that you are going to deliver on certain items for them that they're looking for from your solution or from your services. And once you start to do that, uh, I think that you'll have a much easier time building that personal relationship with them once they trust you and once they see you as that trusted advisor. Yeah. And on the subject of, of building trust, right? Ideally, right? The handoff from sales to customer success is like seamless, right? But a lot of times things get missed. Promises are made that are not, not necessarily on the roadmap. And I'm curious if you had those experiences before and how have you handled that erosion of trust, right? Because sales made a promise, but now as, as a customer su success manager, you might have to clarify, hey, actually that's not the case. So I'm curious, how have you approached that? Yeah. I mean, I think you touched on something important. The sales to success handoff is, is incredibly important. And that's something that we work with many of our customers on. And I see that, that folks are getting on much, much better with this, right? Than maybe we were seeing five or 10 years ago is that there is an understanding that it's so important to have the continuity 
and the knowledge transfer all the way across, not just at from the sales to success transition, but as the customer moves from their customer through their customer journey. We work with so many of our customers to make sure that they are looking at their customer journey outside in. So looking at this journey from the customer's perspective, right? It's really easy to get caught up in thinking about your own internal processes and saying, okay, this is the way that we do things. And first we're going to have our sales team, then the deal is going to go to perhaps like a deal desk or and then we're going to transition this over and then we're going to have the CSM and the services team. And then for the renewal conversation, maybe there's an account management team. So we're all thinking about like the things that like we're doing, right? The way that we interact with the customer and not enough uh, folks are thinking about what does this all mean for the customer, right? We have to be thinking outside in and thinking from their perspective to say, what is the experience that the customer is going to be having during this period, right? What is the, what are the feelings that they're going to be having at each touch point? Right. And how can we make sure that they're feeling the way that uh, we would like for them to feel right? If we, you know, during the transition, if we'd like for them to feel supported, if we, if we want them to feel heard, if we want them to feel that they're being listened to, they, they may be anxious, right? There's one of the things that I think that we forget is customers many times are making a very significant investment financially and also when it comes and also their time, right? And, and onboarding a, a new solution. And sometimes you see they're signing a contract, right? They're writing you this huge check. And if you are having a breakdown in your transition process from sales to success, if I'm writing you a $100,000 check and then the salesperson that has been so you're holding my hand throughout this entire process, great, I signed the contract and then I don't hear it from anyone for a week. How am I feeling? I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling nervous. I'm probably feeling a little bit of buyer's remorse, right? Did I write, make the right decision? And I also then start to, you know, we talk about trust, start losing a little bit of trust. So I say, okay, this person was you know, holding my hand and was very interested in building this relationship with me while we were working through the sales motion. But now that I've signed this contract, I've got radio silence, right? So that's the first way that you can, that's a really good way to start eroding that trust and breaking down uh, that trust there. So making sure that we understand how is the customer going to perceive this, right? So thinking about being proactive about the strategy on how do we want to approach them? How do we want to make them feel a certain way? Knowing that they are going to be in a position where they're making this significant investment in our solution, we can take steps to make sure that they feel supported by as, as simple as sending them a, a welcome email, sending them some swag, making sure that each step of the way throughout that process, it feels seamless to that customer, right? They don't feel that like they're transitioning from through the, you know, internally we're thinking, okay, they're transitioning from one stage to another. The customer should never feel that. This should all feel smooth. This should all feel seamless to the customer. So thinking outside in, and understanding what is it that they're feeling? What are they experiencing? And being less focused on our processes. Yeah, it's all about empathy, right? Keeping that customer experience and customer touch points top of mind, especially in this day and age where, especially this year, 2023, has been a very interesting year when it comes to the economy and budgets that are getting tighter. CFOs are getting more involved in the decision-making process and even like evaluating, do we really need this uh, service or software, right? And yeah, it, what advice we have to a uh, customer success manager that might be struggling with, with the current situation where budgets are tighter and uh, honestly, negotiations are tougher, right? Yeah, definitely. And so I think one of the things that as a CSM that you can do is number one, being aware of this, right? Being understanding what challenges your customers are facing, right? Understanding that from a budgetary perspective, Many of your customers are going to be asked to, to take a look at their tech stack, looking at their spend and figuring out where they can um, reduce costs, right? So knowing that and in, in approaching your 
engagements with your customers and thinking, how can I make sure that this customer is seeing value? And I think one of the, the easiest ways is, is making sure that we understand initially what is the, the business outcome? What is the value that the customer is looking to achieve and setting goals, right? So having those mutually agreed action plans are something that we see more and more companies leveraging with their customers and saying, okay, as a vendor, here are the things that I am committing to this relationship to ensure your success. Here are the things that I need from you. I need you to commit to as well uh, to ensure your success. And these are the, the outcomes that we've agreed upon that we're looking to drive. So understanding what success looks like. Um, I think that's one of the biggest risks that you can have is having a new customer coming on board and either because this is not something that's been well-documented in the sales process or it's not been well-communicated, but not really having a clear understanding or having a, a very vague understanding of what success looks like. And understanding what success looks like from the beginning of the relationship is good, but that's also um, not enough, right? We need to constantly be thinking about how is the business changing? How is the economy changing? And how are these outcomes and goals with our customers, like how are those changing and evolving and making sure that we are taking um, every opportunity that we can to demonstrate value. So, and, and that's very different from demonstrating usage, right? So we see, I recently uh, conducted a, uh, a workshop uh, with one of our customers on how to deliver effective EBRs and, and QBRs. And I think it's pretty common knowledge that we want to be reviewing their, their usage data with them, right? We want to let them know how uh, they're as trending as are they leveraging the platform, but that really you have to connect the dots between understanding, okay, there's usage, right? There are the actions that they're taking or they're leveraging the, the system in a certain way, but how does that actually connect to the, the business value that the business outcomes that they're looking to achieve? Ideally, we can connect this in some way um, to an ROI. And when I say ROI, like talking about dollars, right? So can we find a proxy? Can we find a way to translate? how this usage actually tells a story about how they're achieving those outcomes. Either this is an hour saved, this is in dollar saved, this is increases in efficiency, right? So being able to take the usage that we're identifying and highlighting for them and really turning that into a story that we can tell them um, about the value that they're receiving. So the more frequently and the more impactful that we were able to have these valued uh, exchange conversations, easier time we're going to have with these renewal conversations. So hopefully by the time that we're coming to four months out, three months out from the renewal, we're not scrambling to say, hey, here's all the value that you've gotten out. Like we've been reinforcing this all along the way during that journey. And that goes back to the importance of having a customer journey in place. I love that. What's your approach to, let's say a company wants to build up their customer success function, right? Yeah. What's your approach in how to help these companies build up their function. Um, yeah, so that's something that, that we see pretty frequently is, is many of our customers are looking at either building out or uh, scaling up their customer success organizations and adding a little bit more operational rigor to the way that they are, they're operating. Typically, what we'll do is with many of our customers uh, in this situation, we begin with what we call an assessment. So this is going to be a, a diagnostic into uh, the the health of the the organization and how they're they're operating. What is their current landscape? And so, when you think about a, an assessment, I, I always like to compare it to going in to take get a diagnostic on your car, right? So taking my car and hey, there's uh, my car is making a noise, or I've noticed my brakes are squeaking, or, or something like that. I need to bring my car into a mechanic to to find out what what's wrong with it. And the way that we do that is we really do a lot of 
investigation, we do our homework to, to learn you know, and understand very deeply um, these customers and the way that they're operating today. So we go in, we will interview their team members, we will interview their customers, uh, we will review all of their you know, documentation to get a real clear understanding of the way that they're currently operating. And we use this uh, along with our, we have a proprietary maturity model that we use to scale on a scale of zero to 100. We have different stages that we identify on based on maturity of a customer success organization. So we leverage those, that maturity model to tell our customers, hey, here's where you rank. And this, so this is how you rank compared to your peers in the industry. So one, one of the things I think that's super important as well, even thinking back to the you know, QBRs and EBRs that we were just talking about, people love benchmark data. Like you love to be able to see not only, like I even see scg and &E every month sends me like, hey, here's your image. Here's how you stack up compared to your neighbors. And does does the way that my neighbors use their gas, is that going to affect mine? Probably not. But I'm always so interested to see, like, how do I stack up against my neighbors? That's just a small example of how interesting it is. Uh, I think it's human nature to understand how do I compare to others, right? And so the same thing applies in, in business where you know, companies want to understand, like, how does the maturity of my customer success organization compare to my peers? Um, so that's the first piece. And then we say, okay, this is where you are today. Here's where we think you can be in a year from now, 18 months from now, mm. and we'll prepare uh, a strategic recommendation, list of strategic mm. recommendations based upon that model to say, okay, here, if we would like to get you to, to this stage in the next 18 months, here's a prioritized strategic uh, roadmap for the things that you need to do to achieve this level of success uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. I love that approach. I, it, it only every customer success organization would take that approach, you know, especially with deeply understanding first, right? Coming from a place of, hey, let's talk to the stakeholders, right? Let's interview. Let's really understand where the business is at and then have some ben benchmark data, right? To map out here's where you could be in six, 12 months, right? So it's, it's so important. To yeah. That approach. And a lot of the value around that as well. So we work with a plethora of different customers that have, you know, varying levels of uh, customer success experience and, and resources, you know, with some that are standing up customer success for the very first time, or some that actually do have a, a quite mature customer success uh, organization. And typically what we'll see is that for the customers that do have a lot of knowledge or experience uh, around customer success are looking to us not necessarily because it's not something that they couldn't do on their own, but because of the speed with which we're able to, mm -hmm. to operate and we're able to implement these changes and to build out these processes for the team. So it's really looking at the, the time to value there and being able to deliver uh, very quickly. So not necessarily everyone lacks the, the skill or the, the competencies to, for these uh, engagements, but for many of them, it's for the speed and ease of, of implementation. Yeah, speed. Uh, in this day and age, that's a value proposition. <laughs> now, now, Evan, I want to shift gears here. And I, I know that giving back is a big part of how you conduct yourself, how you operate. And we met through to the Catalyst coaching program. You're actually my mentor. And I wanted to ask you about this topic. Why, why is mentorship important to you? And yeah, you know what, who, who's been the most influential mentor that you had over, over your career? Yeah. So first of all, it's the, the mentorship and, and giving back is, is super important to me just because I feel like I've been so fortunate to have uh, many great mentors that, that have helped me out and have looked out for me 
uh, along the way. So uh, I think, first of all, I love meeting new people. I love building relationships. So it's it's fun for me. I, I really enjoy it. I love getting to talk about customer success, something that I'm very passionate and interested in. And I love hearing people's stories, right? I've been fortunate to, to meet different individuals through these programs that, that all have very different, exciting and, and interesting backgrounds and different paths that I love learning about. And I find that I learn so much from these mentorships as, as well, right? So I participate not only in Cat the Catalyst Coaching Corner, but I'm also a, a Gainsight uh, Essentials uh, mentor. And um, it's just very exciting to me to, to get to meet individuals that are working on really interesting things and have really uh, diverse backgrounds. So um, that's something that's been super interesting to me. And, and I feel like there's so much that's been given to me that I really want to pay it forward and use the experiences uh, that I have to be able to help others. I, I think you know, I heard a quote the other day uh, from a colleague that, you know, a smart man uh, learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from other people's mistakes. Mm. And so that's what I, I'm hoping that I can do is help others with you know some of the the hurdles or challenges that I've overcome in the past and make sure that they don't uh, make those same those same mistakes in the future so they can learn from my experiences. Um, and I would say one of the the most influential mentors that I've had, not only mentor, but also a good friend of mine is one of my colleagues and our uh, managing partner. Uh, at Growth Molecules is Sabina Pons. And Sabina and I have worked together for going on seven years now. So uh, worked together for a very long time. Uh, we're neighbors. We actually live uh, very close to each other. I think we're a half mile away from each other, but great colleagues, good friends. And I've learned so much from her. And, and one of the things that I've really taken to heart uh, and really has changed my leadership style, the way that I really bring myself to work uh, every day is always thinking about how important it is to to bring your personal and your professional self to work. And, you know, it's something that really has made work and, you know, my professional life so much more enjoyable for me is that I feel comfortable being myself at work. I, I don't put on a certain uh, air about myself or conduct myself a certain way because I want to be perceived a certain way. I really operate, like when you talk to me, when you meet with me, this is Evan. I, I am the same way that I bring myself professionally that I do in my personal life. And I, I think that authenticity also helps to build trust, right? Like when I when I began working with Sabina, I saw that was the way that she operated. And, and frankly, it, it made me trust her and really want to, to do my best and to bring my best self to work for her as, as a leader. Uh, because I saw how authentic that she was and the way that she led. She was truthful. I knew that she would always share as much as she possibly could with us on her team. Um, but, it, but it really helps to build that trust and to build those relationships. Thanks for being authentic. I met one of my heroes like many years ago. And the way they show online was different than how they were in actual person. And that's never, that never feels good. <laughs> Because I don't know, I feel like you, you should always carry yourself with authenticity. So I, I love that about you. And now you, you mentioned many times that you also learn through these mentorship opportunities, right? Is there any recent opportunity that stands out to you that you learned something from your mentee? Yeah. So I think, you know, there was one, one of my mentees that I worked with that was uh, really focused on learning more about like the reporting side and kind of the, the data side of being a CS leader. And that's something that has always really been something that I felt is, is one of my strong points. So I, I'm, I'm a big numbers guy. I love the reporting. I love the operational side of, of the business as well. 
back when I was working at a, a company called Maven, like that was really when I had my introduction to renewal and retention forecasting. And that was something that, that really, it really resonated with me. I love the numbers. I love being able to see where are we going to hit our targets for the quarter, putting together all of our, our forecasts and, and bringing together all this data for multiple teams, right? So looking at our renewals and expansions and saying, okay, are we on track and, and being able to build out dashboards? That was something that, that I really enjoyed. And working with this mentee, it was something that really, I realized like how much that part, I really enjoy doing that. Um, I know that's something that that she was, I don't want to say struggling with a, a bit, but it was something that she was really focused on building out her skill set around. And it really dawned on me like how much that was like an important piece of the role for me. So definitely a learning experience, learning you know, more about myself and the things that, that I really enjoy. And not only that, but it's I've learned a lot through that program, like how much I actually enjoy being able to help others. I love that. And Evan, you are very unique individual. Uh, typically, people that are good with uh, the relationship side of things, the data side tends to uh, be less less of a skill set for them. But you seem to have you know, data, relationships, and leadership. It's like the the perfect triangle. And you love to give back too. And so it's like amazing. It's like a, a diamond up there. Well, so thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. I try to uh, do as much as I can to to broaden my own skill sets and to try to be as well-rounded as I can. And I always feel people are nervous about trying new things. And, and that's something that I've really tried to rush towards. So I try to be one of uh, someone that um, is a problem solver um, professionally that doesn't shy away from something because I don't know uh, necessarily if this isn't necessarily my strong suit or you know, something that I would say is like really in like my wheelhouse. But uh, you know, giving it a shot, stepping outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, this is something that I even did um, very recently with a, a webinar series or an interview series that I did with Growth Molecules. It was called uh, Black Voices and, and Customer Success. And we did this um, in honor of Black History Month. And I spoke to a number of Black leaders in customer success. And that was something, hosting a, an interview series was not something that I had ever done before. I was a little bit nervous about it. You're really putting yourself out there. And I enjoyed it so much. It ended up being so rewarding by really stepping out of my comfort zone and just saying, you know what, I'm going to try it out. Let's see how it goes. And I found out that I really liked it. Potentially in the future, maybe we'll see some more of those coming out. You'll, you, you don't know for sure you know, how you feel about something, whether or not you're going to enjoy it unless you give it a shot. And I'm always reminded about my children. I have a three-year-old son and a daughter who will be five in July. And man, they, they are just like, yes, people. You ask them they want to do something. Yes. They don't even know what it is. Yes. So it's inspiring to me. And it's always, it's a great reminder to just say yes to things sometimes, even if you don't feel comfortable doing it, or you feel like this is something that I don't know if I'm going to necessarily be good at. Just try it out. Give it a shot. Try it out. Just do it. Like, like the Nike slogan. Right. And, and yeah, I love that. We're going to put ourselves out there, get outside the comfort zone. Even for me, this podcast is stepping outside that the comfort zone. Making the ask to Evan, hey, can we record an episode? It, it was very uncomfortable, but you you gotta put yourself out there, right? Otherwise, you don't make progress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's so true. And and I, I wanted during one of my interviews, we talked a lot about uh, mentorship, and I, I feel like a, a question that you hear quite a bit is folks asking like, how do I find a mentor? Like, how do I go about finding a asking someone to to be my mentor? And I think that that folks would be surprised how many. If you were to if you were to reach out and say, "Hey, I'm interested in learning from you," how many people are really interested in giving back? And the people that will say yes, people are all, are interested in helping. People are 
interested in leveraging their experiences and their expertise to help others. I think that it would be a good idea to, to reach out. If you're thinking about it, finding someone that has expertise in your space, someone who is you know, where you would like to be in 10 or 20 years and ask them, say, hey, I'm really impressed with what you've done. I would love to learn more about how you got to where you are. Would you be interested in you know, having a conversation with me? And you know, I, th- I think you'd be surprised at how many people would be willing to, to spend that time. Yeah, people want to give back, especially in this day and age. All you have to do is be genuine about making an ask. And most people would say yes, or maybe we point you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, now, one, one last question before um, we wrap up here, Evan. Um, you, you mentioned uh, you're a dad. And I'm a dad as well, right? I think our, our daughter shared the, the same day and, and month. Good birthday. How has being a dad shifted your perspective into how you approach your career, how you approach life? It has absolutely, without a doubt, made me more patient. <laughs> it has made me so much more of a, a patient person. And there's, I see every day the the things that my children will do that used to maybe irritate me, right? I'm all, I'm, I would find myself always in a hurry. I'd be trying to get out the door. I'm, I'm asking you to tie your shoes, you know, put your clothes on. I've had to ask you three times. Um, but I've tried so much more recently to, to be intentional uh, about being patient with them and understanding and seeing how quickly they've grown, just understanding that they will not be this age forever, that pretty soon they're not going to need me. So really making sure that I am intentional with my actions, that I'm stopping and thinking and giving them a minute. So I, I've really translated this from my personal to my professional life is being more patient, being more understanding um, and being more kind. Uh, I, I would also have to say that, it, man, it gives me so much more of an appreciation that I definitely did not have when I was younger for others, other working parents, right? Whether they're working mothers, working fathers, and the empathy that it's given me for, wow, thinking back throughout my career before before I had kids, I had such a lack of understanding of what some of my my bosses and some of my colleagues were going through. And not that I wasn't sensitive to it, but I, I just didn't necessarily understand the the situations, you know, particular symptoms that they were in. If I could go back, I certainly would have wanted to be more empathetic than maybe I was. But yeah, I've, I've learned a lot about patients from them. And I love that in particular, one of the Gainsight pillars that really has resonated with me was operating with a, a childlike joy. And you see how excited they get about the littlest things and how happy they get about things that, that seem so trivial. So trying to do the same thing in, in my own life, being being more appreciative and you know, thinking professionally, be grateful and thankful for the small wins, right? You're able to help out one of your customers or you're able to deliver on a promise. Those little things, taking a moment to, to step back and, and celebrate them. I love it because you took what I've been feeling for the past month and you just put it out there like perfectly, and especially when it comes to patience. I've been trying to be more patient as well. And what you said, right? Like, they're only going to be uh, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, like very limited time. So I'm, I'm trying to be more appreciative as well of those moments. <laughs> awesome, Evan. I want to do a rapid fire closing uh, as a way to wrap up the episode where I'll, I'll basically ask you a question and you just give me a uh, top of my answer that, that comes to mind. Ready? Yeah. All right, let's do it. First question. One book that has influenced your career or like, yeah, so this is probably a very well-known book, but Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins is a book that, man, I, I've read it a, a couple of times. And it's a very gritty book. It's, it's definitely, it can be a, a difficult read, but man, that, there is nothing that will get you more motivated to accomplish something in your life than, than that book. 
That's a great book. I haven't read it fully, but yeah, Debbie Govians is anomaly. <laughs> but That's super, super inspiring. Awesome. All right. Second question. In the recent year, what are the most worthwhile investments that you have made? And it could be something financial. It could be a physical thing. It could be a relationship. Yeah, I, I think this may be the the easy question, but definitely buying a house. We were very fortunate to to buy it at a good time, and it's proved to be a, a pretty good investment for us. And we we bought in a place where, thinking forward, we knew that we wanted to have a family, and and we live in a place where we're surrounded by other young families, and it's it's really exciting to be able to see the kids playing outside together and. This area that we live in, Rancho Mission Viejo, is, is growing very quickly. So definitely one of the best investments in recent years that we've made. That'll be a financial one. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Buying a house is still one of the best investments you can make, in my opinion. All right, next question. That you think of often or a life model that you live your life by? I would say, so this one, not necessarily maybe that I live my life by, but one that I, I think of often professionally is that there's always more going on behind the scenes than, and it's something that I, that I was told by a colleague a long time ago. And, and the reason that I think of it as being particularly powerful is that it's, it's easy to make knee jerk reactions to things that happen to you or decisions that are being made, but always remembering that there's probably more context to the situation or the story that you're unaware of, right? So not jumping to conclusions, assuming that things are happening for a certain reasoning understanding that there's probably more to the story than so. so it's something that I find gives me again going back to the patients not getting emotional about certain things at work it's been it's really been helpful for me to remove myself from situations that may be difficult or emotional or challenging and saying you know what you may not have the whole story them some patience so that's something that I, I think of often that is so powerful right you don't have the whole story which a lot of times it's happens more more frequently Awesome. All right. Next, next question here. In the last year, is there, I believe that you have adopted or a new habit that you have implemented that has impacted your life? I would say a habit that for me, so one of the things that I struggled with a lot when I was younger was procrastination. And this is something that I've learned and I've really watched embodied by my wife. And it's just doing things right now. Right. If you can do if you can do something, especially like thinking throughout the workday, if there's something that you can accomplish in a few minutes, mm. don't put it on a to do list. Do it now. And I, I see I have a wife that isn't that's just she's type A and she just never. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She never stops. She's always going. And I've learned that from her is that, you know, what? if you can do something quickly, don't put it on a to do list that I'll do later. If you can do it in less than five minutes, do it now. And that's made so much of a difference in, in my productivity and my efficiency. You know what's funny? My wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. If you can do it quickly, just do it now. I agree with you. Awesome, Evan. Last question here. What will be your number? One of your takeaways from the episode as it relates to people in customer success in their career, uh, maybe they want to transition into customer success, or maybe they want to continue going deeper into their customer success career. You know, what, what will be one of your takeaways that you would like them to to take from the episode? Yeah, I would say that the real takeaway for, for me would be the importance of a network and building relationships, right? Not being afraid to reach out, not being afraid to contact people, build those relationships, say hello, have a conversation, even if it's not, it doesn't have to be a conversation to serve you, right? It can just be 
introductions, making a connection, building a relationship and, and learning from others and learning from their experiences. So in particular, if you're interested in breaking into customer success, if you're interested in advancing your career, um, again, find someone that's in a position uh, that you're in, either someone that already works in customer success or someone who has a role that you, know, that you would be interested in and, and reach out to them. Say, hey, I would love to hear more about your experience and if there's any you know, lessons learned that you would be willing to share with me. And like you said, at a, at a, you know, maybe they'll take the call and at a minimum, maybe they can point you in the direction of some helpful resources or someone else that would be willing to, to spend the time. So not being afraid to network and to reach out. Awesome, man. And thanks so much for being generous with your time and, and sharing with us your experience in customer success and what we can do to advance in our career. What What's the best way for people, if they want to get in contact with you, what will be the best way to to find out more about, about your work? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, just Evan Williams. It's easy. It's like the bourbon. Or my email address is just evan, E-V-A-N, at growthmolecules.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. But for right now, thanks. Thanks for your time. We appreciate you. Thanks, Caesar. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.